convey your message in a passionate, enthusiastic way to engage the audience. And the more I find that passion and enthusiasm comes through and becomes infectious and people get involved. And that passion and enthusiasm can help people remember your message. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Can you speak on saving energy and reducing greenhouse gas emissions with passion and enthusiasm? Andrew Cooper is known for doing just that. In this episode, you will hear how this engineer-turned-energy specialist has used his communication skills to change the culture of his organization and the people who are part of it. And who knows, you might even learn how to save some money on your energy bill. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti. On this program, we have a mix of content and conversations. And this episode is going to be a conversation with Andrew Cooper, who I have made acquaintance with recently through a speaking organization. And I'm very pleased to have Andrew on the show today. Andrew, welcome. Hi. Thank you, David. Uh, it's great to be here on the show with you. Andrew, keeping in mind that, like you, many of my audience members are engineers and scientists interested in learning how to tell more effectively the story of their work, would you introduce yourself, your work, and, and how your, your engineering work has led you into doing more speaking and presentations to different audiences? Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy, happy to do that. Uh, as David mentioned, my name is Andrew Cooper. In terms of roles, I'm currently the energy specialist at New Gold's New Afton Mine in Kamloops in British Columbia. Now, what's an energy specialist, you may ask? My role is primarily to help the company reduce the expense in energy, reduce the amount of energy they use, and reduce greenhouse gases at the same time. My background, I'm an electrical engineer by profession, um, but I have grew up in a, in a little city in Bulawayo in Zimbabwe where um, water was a very, very scarce resource. And we had to have very, very strict measures to conserve water. So I grew up with this background of, of minimizing waste and maximizing efficiency. And that minimize waste, maximize efficiency is really played a key role in everything I do uh, up to this point in my life. Energy management in the role I currently do is all about people. We're not in the energy business. We're not in the energy management business. We're not in the conservation business. We are in the people business. Hmm. So the people business, communicating like with people is a key to everything we do because you can have the best systems in the world, but if you don't have people on board with what you do, those systems are worth nothing. So it's really because of that that I've got into presenting, speaking, and sharing with people all over the world around what we do and why energy efficiency is important to us. What you do and why energy efficiency is important to you. I find that interesting. I didn't know that about your background. Growing up in a, an area of scarce water, I suppose there may, be an, may have been other resources that were scarce as well, and so you learned... Uh, a thrifty mentality, a conservation mentality. Um, and I would say that almost comes through in the way you communicate. You don't waste words. 
what? Be uh, brief, be bright, be gone. I think it was Winston brief, Churchill said Be that. bright, be gone. And this may be a very <laughs> short episode then. <laughs> <laughs> you may have a thing or two to teach me about being more brief. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm sure we've all heard the, uh, the advice for putting together a speech. Have an excellent opening, have an excellent conclusion, and put them as close together as possible. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, I've, uh, you, you gave me that opportunity to become slightly familiar with your work at the mine in energy conservation, and I'm particularly interested in what you had to say about the human element of that. How did you manage to communicate with the, the diverse array of stakeholders who must have been involved, um, the importance of the individual actions that they could take that would make a difference? You have to look at when you're communicating, David, about who the target audience is for your message. If you are trying to implement or get funding for a project which is going to improve energy performance, for instance, you're looking at the people who control the purse strings, so then you sort of appeal to the side of, okay, this is the financial long-term benefit of this. By doing this, this, and this, we're going to reduce our, our energy costs and you present it in a business case which is appealing. If you are appealing to, looking to uh, communicate with the, uh, the other stakeholders of the mind, the employees of the mind, for instance, you sort of then go more of a, a feel-good approach. This is right for us. This is what's good. And you make them feel good about energy. And also you, what I find to be particularly effective is to help employees see how it's going to benefit and impact their own personal pocket. So a lot of our initiatives are aimed at helping employees reduce their energy expense at home. Mm. And by doing that, they realize the financial benefits of, of, of doing a good thing. And that follows through into, the, into what they do in the workplace. But also in addition, <laughs> but a lot of guys who did implement stuff at home, they, they put in their energy meters at home, they did initiatives at home and they share that with their kids and their kids were then looking saying look dad look dad look at what we're using mm. we mustn't do that let's turn off the light so their kids were learning about energy performance improvement and that really becomes a generational thing which is fantastic wow that is fantastic okay yeah. as as a father of, of three daughters I, I don't recall that we had to have too many conversations about not air conditioning the neighborhood when we lived in texas <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to me that you've come up with a system there that would that would uh eliminate the need for that altogether i don't know if i'd eliminate the need i had a, a good friend who had uh, three daughters and he had a constant battle with the amount of time they were spending in the shower. So um, ah. I understand your pain. <laughs> <laughs> amount of time in the shower. I hadn't thought of that one. But yeah. um, hot water is a major energy consumer in a typical home, isn't it? Absolutely. It does account for a large percentage of the energy consumption in a home, along with your, your, your stove and your tumble dryer and your heating and ventilation in your home. It does all, but hot water is, is a big component of that, for sure. And it's something we just take for granted. At least, I suspect most of us do. I, I, as we speak, there are people in parts of the country recovering from a bad winter storm who are probably learning not to take such things as, as heat, power, light, and, and water for granted. But I, would, yeah. I dare say most of us do take that for granted most of the time. Yeah, we do. And I mean, one of the, and this may be a bit of a digress, but one of the funny things I find was that if you are, 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 are right-handed and I guess about 90% of 
people are. Mm-hmm. If you want to go and wash, rinse, or something at your kitchen sink, for instance, you will, and I'll grab my, my water here, you will reach for with your right hand to hold the cup, and you'll reach to the left-hand faucet with your left hand to rinse, wash, or, or fill it. And what's typically on the left-hand side? The hot water. Is the hot water. So just by design, the hot water faucet seems to be in, in the wrong place. And so why is that? And I looked into that and said, well, way back when water was introduced into the home, they brought water into the home with a, with a, a hand pump. A hand pump. And since right. most people were right-handed, the hand pump went on the right-hand side of the sink. Okay. With the, with the advent of hot water, the hot water faucet went to the left-hand side of the sink because that's where there was space. You were already accustomed to turning the cold water on with your right hand or, or pumping it, as you say. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's... Interesting. By design over the long term, it's, it's inefficient. So, anyway, that's my little soapbox for the day. And, of course, every time you turn on the hot water tap to run a little bit of water, knowing it's going to be cold initially anyway... Mm-hmm. You bring more hot water out of the tank, uh, which then cools off in the pipes, and you just wasted more energy. Exactly. And all that cold water you replaced has to now get heated back up again. It has so, to get heated yeah, up again. For sure. Wow. Yeah. Quite interesting that you, you drew a dichotomy there between the, um, the financial people to whom you talk to about the, the finances and the cost savings of saving energy, the, the bottom line benefits, Mm-hmm. And then to so much of the rest of your community, you, you give them the, the feel-good approach. This is something that will help you feel better about the work we're doing here at the mine and and will pay off for you at home as well. Did it take a while to find that um, the, the channel for that message, or was that pretty intuitive from the very beginning? I guess it was... Uh... And I guess just intuitive, I guess. I think over time you learn what, what works for different people and you try and appeal to to that different aspect. Uh, I can't say I gave it a lot of thought. So. <laughs> but clearly you have thought about the different audiences because you started out by saying that if you're going to communicate anything, you have to start by thinking about who your target is. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And so the target for this program, I, I like to think, is is people like us with a technical background, because my background is in physics and broadcast engineering, people who, for whom um, the, the humanities side of academia may be not our first nature, but our second. Um, how, do we, uh, how do we persuade people like the audience for this program to embrace what storytellers know about engaging the audience. That's that's really a recurrent theme for me, is telling the story of your work. So how does that play into the way you talk about energy use and, and reducing energy use and your carbon footprint at the mine? Are there, are there stories you tell to engage your audience about things like that? Being an engineer myself, I can relate 100% to, to what you're saying. And there's a stereotypical engineer profile of being dull and boring and numbers and facts and <laughs> figures. Now, I understand what you're saying. I think that the biggest thing is to use stories to appeal to people's emotions. For example, I tell a story about when I was running, when we were running an employee awareness campaign at the mine. 
we had just set an aggressive energy target to reduce our energy consumption on the site. And at the last minute, for a couple of reasons, the one big project we had lined up was, was canned. Uh-huh. They were, unfortunately, you can't do it postponed to next year. So now what do we do? And I remembered a guy, uh, employee, who came to me one day, and his name was Lucky. <laughs> Lucky? And Lucky came to me and said, Andrew, can I show you a way to save energy? I said, Sure. So he took me to one of our arts entrance to one of our buildings and said to me, there. Where? He said, the ice freezer. It's in the blazing hot sun every day. (laughs) And we now move the ice freezer into the shade, but it's it's a very, very small savings in the bigger scheme of things. But it made me realize that we were sitting on a, a treasure trove of opportunities, and the employees themselves held the key to unlock their treasure chest. And just by telling that simple story, it makes you realize, makes people realize the power of people and the importance that people can play if you tap into the ideas and creativity. So stories do elicit emotion, and real true life stories are, are very beneficial to trying to communicate your message and make people relate to it in a simple, easy way. Let me consider that story you just told. Some of the elements that I like to hear. Uh, dialogue. <laughs> he said, here, and you said, what? And he showed you where the icebox was sitting in, in the sun. And then uh, as a result of that, you made a change. You were able to move that. And even though, you say, even though that may have represented a very minuscule amount of energy savings, uh, it represented a, a shift in someone's thinking. And I think the best stories are the ones that help us see a shift in someone's thinking and what happens as a result of that. And you've seen a tremendous shift in the way people think about energy at the mine, haven't you? Um, absolutely. We, we have a, a theme, a logo, a slogan at the mine called Energy Matters. And from for the last seven years, we've been reinforcing this, this concept and the importance of what that energy matters at the mind. Every opportunity you sort of share the theme, energy matters. And it really, the impact is it really sang true to me one day, and the impact of that when I was actually driving into the mine one day, and some employees were driving out of the mine at the same time. We happened to sort of cross our paths as we sort of met at the security gate, and the driver rolled down his window. And he leaned out the car and shouted to me, carpooling because, and then all the guys in the back of the car called out, energy matters. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they drove off in, in really high spirits. And it's just that, that people have rallied around that theme um, to understand that energy is important. It's made people excited about what we do. Energy matters. What a, what a simple theme, and yet what a, what a catchy one that people have obviously caught on to. Absolutely, yeah. It's really become our, our trademark of, at, in, around energy performance improvement and greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Trademark around energy performance improvement and greenhouse gas introduction. And that's a mouthful compared to energy matters. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it sure is. Well, I'd like to hear more of some of your stories about um, 
making a difference uh, in the mindset of the people there at the mine, and in particular how you came to see yourself as not just uh, an engineer and an energy expert, but as a spokesman for those efforts. And before we do that, we're going to take a short break. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. My guest is Andrew Cooper, and we will be back in just a minute. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. Welcome back to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and my guest on today's episode is Andrew Cooper, who is a energy specialist with a mining company in Canada. And I love some of the stories that Andrew has been telling about uh, how his, his work has made such a difference, not just in the financial performance of his company, and becoming an example within his industry for their energy efficiency, but the way it makes a difference to the individuals. And I'd love to hear some more of your stories about uh, the, the things you've heard about some of the individuals who, who are on the team there at the mine doing things differently at home. Yeah, sure, David. That's a, that's a great point. I always love, love talking about those, those stories. We had, we had a great initiative where we sponsored people to purchase a home energy meter. Now, that sounds terribly technical, I know, but it was a device they could take home, get through the local utility, install it at home, and allow them to see real time what energy they were using at home. The one guy came to me one day and said, you know, I was looking at my energy performance, and I noticed that 2 a.m. every morning, there was a spike in the energy use. I said, what could be using energy at 2 a.m. in the morning? So after a lot of investigation, he found that his bathroom floor heating, the thermostat had been set incorrectly the time the thermostat and his bathroom heating floor was coming on at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no one in the bathroom, heating for absolutely nothing, and it was just because of monitoring his energy at home that he managed to discover that. The same guy came to me and said, you know, I've reduced my energy bill at home by 30%. 30%? Wow. Yeah. So I said, how did you do that? He said, well, I had an unused freezer in my garage, which was only about a third, third full, and I was not using it to the full capacity. It was sitting there, it was plugged in, and it was hardly being used. So I unplugged that freezer, and I took this stuff into my freezer in my kitchen. 
and I reduced my energy bill at home by 30%. And he hadn't picked that up until he actually started looking at what he does. The, the last story I can tell you is a guy who owns a beautiful log cabin mm-hmm. uh, just sort of east of here. And he had purchased an, this plot of land and built this cabin himself, and he was mighty proud of it. And we ran a campaign where we supplied a plug-in meter for a smartphone. So you plug in this, it was actually a thermal infrared camera you plug into the bottom of your smartphone. Oh, okay. And you can take it, you can scan around your home for places where your insulation is poor, around your windows, for instance, around your doors. And he took this camera home and he shared all sorts of images with us where he was getting cold air coming into his log home. And he was able to to patch up those specific areas by looking at that. So that was a great tool. And he then became aware of the importance of good insulation and conserving energy in your home. So some, some three examples have helped employees realize the benefit of, of energy savings. Wow. That's terrific. I, uh, I can just imagine building that cabin and being very proud of it and then realizing that there are some things you might need to do to make it more energy efficient because that probably was not the, the foremost thing in his mind. I mean, we think of, of uh, log cabins as offering a, a certain inherent amount of insulation, but I'll bet there's a lot of opportunities for leakage. Yeah, How absolutely. And to have a tool that would, that would point that out for you so visually like that. Yeah. It was plain and easy to see exactly where you needed to do some uh, some patching and caulking. Huh. Now, you've also done some keynote speaking on this subject. Yes? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about that and how that developed and, and some of the audiences that you've had opportunities to speak to. There are a number of, of energy-related conferences um, and mining-related conferences uh, across North America. And I was invited to, for instance, to speak at a, at a keynote uh, address in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And the one thing that I learned was just to be passionate. Mm. I had an awesome review from, from someone after the, the presentation saying that I was a breath of fresh air in a, some, an otherwise pedestrian conference. A <laughs> breath of so, fresh air. That's a good thing. <laughs> and often when you're speaking at, at technical conferences, a lot of the presentations are by nature uh, sort of technical and they can come across dull and boring. Mm-hmm. So I find the importance to be passionate about what you do, enthusiastic about what you do, and convey your message in a passionate, enthusiastic way to engage the audience. And the more I find that passion and enthusiasm comes through and it becomes infectious and people get involved and that passion and enthusiasm can help people remember your message. Passion and enthusiasm helps people remember your message. I absolutely agree with that. Are there particular um, oratorical techniques or storytelling techniques that you try to make it a point to employ in order to make that message memorable and help that passion and enthusiasm come through? Good coaching and <laughs> training <laughs> does help. I mean, we, 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 we good coaches out there can actually help you fine-tune your message. I think starting with something, just have one, my, my sort of biggest takeaway is to have one 
simple theme, one key message you want to convey and just have stories throughout your presentation to support that one key message that you want to deliver. I find trying to cram too much or too many messages into a presentation becomes confusing. And mm. if you can just run through with one consistent theme and support that with, with personal stories, it becomes real and meaningful to, to the people who, who are watching it. I, it reminds me of a keynote I did where the point I was trying to make is that you cannot just sit back and watch energy savings happen. And I said, I have an acronym called GOYA. GOYA. Which is short for get off your ass. Because <laughs> that is what you have to do to get it done. And the next day, I got an email from someone. I'll never think of the Spanish painter Goya again <laughs> <laughs> without thinking of this key message. So it was a simple message with stories to reinforce that one single point with the one key take home phrase that people remembered afterwards. Of course. And people will probably do some things as a result of remembering that because you can't just sit around and wait for it to happen. What a terrific Absolutely, message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, uh, any uh, any keynotes coming up on the horizon that are going to be using some of these techniques? I've submitted a few abstracts and requests for, for keynotes. I've been doing a, one or two online webinars mm -hmm. through the uh, Association of Energy Engineers, for instance, and but nothing big lined up at the moment. We are, are focusing on some exciting developments to reduce greenhouse gases uh, at our operation, and uh, that's really where our focus is at the moment. And hopefully, when this terrible COVID thing passes us, we will uh, be back on stage talking to people. Back on stage. That's right. Many of us who, who do a lot of speaking are looking forward to getting back on stage and uh, away from the, the webcam and the Zoom window. <laughs> Has that changed how you approach communication opportunities? The fact that for the last nearly a year, we've had to do them more virtually. Yeah, absolutely. I find the thing that for communication uh, to people I work with, Messages have to be a lot shorter, a lot quicker, and a lot more succinct. You mm. people shorter, have got quicker, more succinct, more succinct. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. People are getting Zoom fatigue. People are getting tired of seeing things online. So the quicker you can make it, the shorter you can make it, the more impactful you can make it. The more likely people are to see and remember it. Quicker, shorter, more impactful the more likely people Absolutely. are to see it and remember it. Uh, you know, I can't think of a better message for us to close with than that, because to say anything afterward would seem like we're drawing it out too long, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. You're 100% spot on, David. All right, then. I tell you what, by way of wrapping up, would you like to tell our audience uh, how they might be able to contact you if they wanted to follow up and learn more about your work? Thanks for the opportunity there, David. I think the easiest thing for folks would do is to check out my profile on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Cooper on LinkedIn, or you can search Andrew Cooper Energy on LinkedIn, and my profile will pop up. So feel free to send me a note, follow me, or send me a message, and uh, we can look at connecting. 
Wonderful. I know that people will enjoy connecting with you because you have such a delightful way of putting things so succinctly and so memorably. And of course, we'll all remember that energy matters. Hey, music to my ears, David. <laughs> Very good. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on The Power of Story and Science. And if anyone would like to contact me, learn more about this program, or suggest people that might make good interview guests, please go to storyandscience.com. That's the home page for this program, and you can contact me, David Odie, through there as well. Thank you for being part of the Power of Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.